Welcome back to the African Defense Review podcast. I'm Richard Stupart, and today we're talking to Jens Peterson from MSF about the group's decision to withdraw from Sudan last week after a government attack on one of their facilities. Welcome to the podcast, Jens. Thanks very much, Richard, for having me. So MSF is generally known for sticking it out, typically in a lot of tough places. But um, just last week, the organization announced that they were pulling out of Sudan. Can you maybe give us some background on, on what prompted the decision? Yeah, so, so Sudan is certainly one of the tough places to work in, but, but uh, in many ways in different kinds and ways from, from what we, we deal with in other places. So the decision for MSF, the Belgian section, to pull out of Sudan and uh, to close the operations we had there, one project in, in Khartoum uh, and another project in, in Darfur, was based on a long process of continuously being faced with blockages for visa uh, of staff coming in and out of Sudan, but even also our staff in, in Khartoum, for example, were needing visas to visit uh, the TB clinic we had in Khartoum, um, blockage when it came to uh, supply of drugs uh, to projects as well. Um, but but in general, or in addition to that rather, that we've been for the past two years been, been requesting access to the areas most in need, which has been certain areas of Darfur, um, East and uh, North of World, but we have and the Blue Nile and South Kordofan states, but we have not been granted such access to, to respond to the humanitarian needs in these areas. And particularly, the press release that MSF gave out mentioned there was an instance where a Sudanese fighter jet had bombed a hospital run by MSF. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in that incident? So, another part of the MSF uh, family runs the hospital in Farandala in the South Kordofan region in Nuba Mountains um, and have been doing so for quite a few years now. Now it's the second time uh, within a relatively short period that this hospital has been targeted uh, by the Sudanese Air Force. Uh, first time was in June last year where it was targeted um, and again as you mentioned now here in, in January uh, the same hospital was targeted once again deliberately by bombs from the Sudanese Air Force. And I say deliberately because the locations, the GPS coordinates of the hospital are well known to the Sudanese authorities, including the military. And that would then be a, a pretty clear violation of the laws of war if the government was aware that it was a hospital facility and it targeted it explicitly, surely? Um, the, the frustration for us is that, that it's, a, it's a clear indication of, of blocking and preventing humanitarian aid, uh, in, in this case medical aid to, to populations that need it so much. Um, I mean, the incident of bombing it, uh, of course, is incredibly serious. We are now forced with having to rehabilitate the hospital again, and the population in that area, in the meantime, uh, will not have access to medical treatment. In, in terms of uh, the Sudanese government's cooperation or relationship with MSF, is, is the experience of being blocked um, with bureaucracy and requirements for visas and paperwork specific to MSF, or ha has that been a, a general experience for a number of uh, organizations involved in Sudan? Well, certainly our observations are that it's, uh, it's not limited to MSF. In 2009, other sections of MSF were expelled uh, from Sudan. I think since 2009, more than 15 international aid organizations have been expelled. Um, so it's, it's not unique to MSF. Uh, we have been able to, over a long, longer period, uh, maintain some operations, but unfortunately now are forced with 
reaching the conclusion that it's no longer possible to, to work and have any meaningful medical impact in this environment. And have you seen a trend over the last few years on the Sudanese government's behalf in terms of cooperation? Have they been coming less cooperative, more cooperative, or has it really just been a continuation of a normal level of unwillingness to assist with NGOs? Well, it's difficult to to paint trends uh, in this. As I said, um, 2009 from Darfur, two parts, two sections of MSF were expelled. Since then, the, the eruption of the conflict uh, of, of 2011 in South Kordofan and Blue Nile areas, uh, we have been trying and we've pushed for access. We've, through high-level meetings, diplomatic avenues, um, meeting with both Ministry of Health, Ministry of Interior, and, and in, in good faith and intent seeking dialogue, um, and, and in many cases hitting a wall in the process of doing so. Um, so whether it's, it's been it's becoming more difficult or not, it's difficult to say. What we do know is that the, the needs at this point in time in Sudan, both in Darfur and in the two areas, uh, South Kordofan and Blue Nile, uh, remain massive. Um, so there, there, there needs to be an understanding of within the Sudanese authorities that you can't, you can't block, you certainly can't bomb humanitarian aid. Uh, and and uh, of course, it's very frustrating from our side that they prioritize and, and, and refer military strategies to, uh, than providing aid for, for, for the population that needed the most. And does MSF's withdrawal, do, do you guys see that as being a, a longer term thing or are you now waiting to see what the reaction from the Sudanese government will be? Well, we've seen some reactions already in the media as a response to our uh, to the mentioned statement. Um, and to be honest, those statements are not necessarily encouraging. Um, if the Sudanese government are, are, are willing to and open to facilitating and allowing independent humanitarian aid rather than, than blocking it uh, and, and, and targeting it, then, then we are willing to, uh, to re-engage and we are, are certainly willing to, to assist the people in the areas affected. But it requires a change of mind on, on behalf of the Sudanese authorities. And with, uh, yeah, you said it was the, the departure of the Belgian arm of, of MSF. Are there other um, areas of MSF that are still engaged in the country? Yes, so our, our Spanish section and the, our Swiss section uh, remains uh, operational in Sudan. And of the sort of other large NGOs that are still in Sudan, uh, do any of them still have a presence there or is... Is MSF not alone in, in um, leaving, if not certainly recently, I mean, over the last, say, year or two? I mean, over the past, uh, I would say, three to five years, there's been a steady decrease in the number of, of international organizations that have been allowed, uh, let alone able to, to work in, in Sudan. Um, late last year, um, the, the International Committee of Red Cross uh, challenges as well and without being able to go into the details of, of, of the International Red Cross challenges but, but there were, uh, were clear indicators that they were failing, uh, sorry, facing similar challenges in terms of being allowed to operate. And do you have any, any kind of idea as to what the, the Sudanese government's objection to the NGOs being involved in, in some of the conflict areas is? Well, we know that when uh, MSF Holland and MSF France were expelled in 2009, the, the argument was that it was because we had 
provided evidence to the International Criminal Court in the indictment of President Bashir, which has, has absolutely uh, no truth in it. Um, there's a, a, a general um, opposition among the Sudanese government uh, within the, the, the Sudanese authorities to, to allow independent humanitarian aid. Um, and of course, I say independent because as, as MSF, our focus is the one, the patients and the people who need it the most, which has to be an independent decision-making process. Now, the authorities are not keen on agencies making the decisions where to operate based on needs. They prefer to make these decisions themselves, which of course, from a medical perspective, is unacceptable that, that you are not allowed to treat the patient based on, on, on the needs of the patient, but based on other issues. And in the areas that MSF has been working, do you have um, administrative relationships with, for example, SPLAN in um, Kordofan? And are those groups more amenable to having MSF clinics in the area than the Sudanese government is? Well, in, in, in the areas that we we work as in South Kordofan or in, in other areas in uh, Jebel Mada and in, in Darfur, areas which are in one degree or another under control of opposition groups. Uh, we have not been targeted by them per se. Um, it is clearly uh, a tendency of being targeted by government forces such as the Air Force that we've seen in Farandala, um, or by, by previously government affiliated militias. And finally, I just wanted to ask, so Darfur particularly and Kordofan as well have, have not really featured much in the international media spotlight as um, conflicts in that area of, of Africa. And part of that seems to have been a, a lack of access, but part of it maybe is a memory that Darfur was a conflict that somehow went away um, three or four or five years ago. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about what what is happening? What is what is happening in Darfur at the moment, or certainly over the last couple of years? Um, and maybe it's just your thoughts on why it is that um, Darfur and Kordofan haven't really received the same level of attention as, for example, what is happening in South Sudan. I mean, it's a very good question, I and mean, of course, it's something that, that, from a humanitarian perspective, is is frustrating. Um, the current situation in, in, in Darfur is one of. I think last year alone, um, the UN estimated 400,000 newly displaced people. Um, the areas of Darfur vary. I mean, Darfur is a very, very large area. Certain parts of it remain prone to, to conflict, um, conflict in between um, different uh, community groups, um, not to the same extent that we have seen in the past with, with, with more um, traditional rebel groups fighting a conventional war against uh, the government, but, but um, more community-based fighting, which, which in many ways is, is just as bad because it, it has resulted in, in a high number of displaced people. And uh, the challenge really is that it's so, when it is so difficult to gain access, it can be difficult to, um, to establish just how great the needs are in terms of how many people that, that are in, in need of the system. But we know, for example, when it comes to South Kordofan and Blue Nile, when the conflict erupted in, in 2011 and 12, uh, and they said we were working in, in what came to be the refugee camps on the South Sudanese side of the border. Um, and we know from, from the patients we've seen, and we continue to see in, the, in, in these camps on the South Sudanese side, that the, 
the conditions that people are fleeing from on the Sudanese side um, are terrible and humanitarian needs prevail. I think it has indeed slipped off the radars, in particular since um, the independence of South Sudan. There has been lots of focus on South Sudan. Um, and I think perhaps there's a tendency to view what's happening uh, in Sudan at the current time and over the past two, three years perhaps. It's much more of an internal issue, which, which um, people don't pay the same kind of attention to. I mean, there are political processes ongoing, uh, facilitated by the African Union, um, but, but really we, we still remain as a, a situation where we are, from a humanitarian perspective at least, um, allowed and, and, and able to deliver the, the required humanitarian aid. And if you, if you look on the map, certainly the area occupied by Dofer, Blue Nile and Kordofan together is, is quite a large portion of the Sudanese state. To what extent is, is the government in control of those areas? It's, uh, it's difficult to tell exactly. Um, also because some of the... We have seen in the past year that the government have continued to use uh, proxy militias, so it's difficult to exactly tell who, first of all, who is in control and if it's one group, um, how loyal are they exactly to one side or the other. Um, we, we, we do know, and, and, and that's uh, at least from, from the opposition parties in, in, in Blue Nile and South Karofan, um, from their statements, they claim to control uh, quite large areas. Um, and and it, uh, it, it, it is large areas that are affected by conflict. Um, it's large areas which now, because of the dry season offensive which started um, during this current dry season, has continued to displace people and uh, prevented people from planting and subsequently later on in, in the harvest season to actually harvest. So it's not just large areas, it's also uh, people's food insecurity that's being uh, affected and, and which eventually and in all likelihood would, will exacerbate the humanitarian needs uh, potentially when it comes to, to food aid. And then finally, uh, going back to MSF's withdrawal from Sudan, what exactly do the logistics of that look like? So. Is it a case of packing up clinics and evacuating offices? Are you able to hand over some of the facilities to either other um, MSF branches or to, to the Sudanese government? So the, the practical logistics of it is um, that the decision, a decision is communicated to the authorities and a process is started uh, of, of handing over or returning these facilities to the Ministry of Health or through the Humanitarian Affairs Commission in Sudan. So, um, and, and, and once that is, uh, is finalized, then we, we basically close shop and, uh, and we leave the country. So some of our staff, the medical staff working in clinics and so forth, uh, will continue to do so. But of course, we have a, a larger support uh, network in terms of logistics administration and so forth, which um, unfortunately will, will, will have to be laid off. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Richard.